him. Father, we thank you so much for this time together this morning. We thank you that we can be together as your people. Uh, we pray that you would speak into our hearts, open our hearts, Lord, to you, be, to be attentive, to be alert to your spirit, uh, speaking through your word uh, today, that we might respond uh, and reflect your heart uh, in ways that uh, you will lead and guide us. So uh, speak, Lord, we pray. Help us to hear your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are doing this series in these values. Maybe just pop that first screen up. There we are. Uh, we saw the first week, gracious welcome, that God wants us to welcome, just as he welcomes us gracefully, full of grace, he wants us to welcome one another into the church, into our homes, uh, into our lives, into our hearts. Uh, we thought last week about courageous commitment. Uh, Jesus calls us to, to take up our cross, deny ourselves, take up our cross and, and follow him. Uh, that is tough, it's hard, uh, but it's the way to life. And so uh, Jesus calls us to model that uh, gracious commitment. Um, next week, we're going to be celebrating the, uh, the, the, the value of joyful celebration. And we're going to have a great day because this baptistry is going to be open. And it's going to be full of water, hopefully reasonably warm. And uh, we're going to have a couple of baptisms next Sunday morning. And we're going to celebrate and give thanks to God uh, in joyful celebration. So make sure you come back next uh, Sunday and bring others uh, with you. Uh, and then the fifth Sunday, we're going to have compassion, the heart of humble compassion. We've got uh, a speaker from Compassion International, actually, is coming to, to share uh, some of that work. Um, but today, we are thinking about this subject of extravagant generosity, the open hands of being extravagantly generous. Um, we've had this focus today on finance, and uh, at the beginning of the year, the budget's been shared. Um, it's challenging, as always, especially in this increasingly financial uh, tightening of our, of our, of our uh, culture at the moment. But, but um, you know, I'm enormously thankful to the generosity of God who's enabled us to, uh, uh, to be able to, to do all that he wanted us to do in this last year. And we can trust him for the year ahead. But of course, this theme of extravagant generosity is not limited to money. You know, it, it's, 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 a, it's a value around our use of time how we're extravagantly generous with our use of time, which sometimes is more precious than, than finance. Uh, it's around our use of talents, our gifts that God has given us, how we're going to use them for the sake of others. Uh, it's it's, it's about, around our attitudes, I think, too, about our, our attitudes towards others who are different to us. Uh, so often in our cancel culture, we have a tendency to shut people down, put people in a box, uh, and, and, and we want to be as generous as we can be in, in, in our attitude towards, towards others, especially uh, around those who hold different views from our, ourselves. Uh, this theme of extravagant generosity is, should permeate the life of a Christian and the life of our church. Um, this is how we've put it, as uh, those who have received so much from God, we will give of our time, talents, and treasure. Value that can be applied in different areas, uh, but the emphasis from our passage today and, and uh, the emphasis uh, in, the, in the talk is, is, is around treasure as we've, and, and, our, and particularly our material resources. So we, we want to apply this across. Because I, I love this prayer from David in 1 Chronicles 29. The prayer follows on from the collection that is being made to build the temple in Jerusalem will become known as Solomon's temple. God has uh, told David that he can't build it. He so wants to build it for God, but he said, no, David, you're a man of bloodshed. You have, uh, you have conquered nations. You've, you've accomplished the purposes of, of establishing a nation, um, but you're not to build the, the temple. Your, your son will build the temple. But 
But David's so enthusiastic to do it, so keen to do it, he thinks, right, I'm going to get all the stuff together so that Solomon can get on with it. And so um, in the first 10 verses, if you've got your Bible open, do have them open there, page 433, because I just want to go through those first 10 verses briefly just to say what has happened. Because firstly, we see that this, that this is a great project. Verse 1, if you've got your Bible, then King David said to the whole assembly, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and experienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now, they're building the temple. This is a huge architectural challenge. Solomon's temple will be beautiful, impressive. It'll be one of the ancient wonders of the world. It's going to be a structure like, like no other. But it's, it's not like the shard. You know, the shard is incredibly striking, isn't it? I, I, I love going to London and seeing that skyline. But the, the shard is sort of towering up. Uh, it, you know, it's there, though, for the, for the glory of man. It's there to make a statement, provide some fantastic views over, over London. But no, the temple building is a great project because it is, as David says, for the Lord God. It is God's work, God's plan, God's idea, and it's for God's glory. That's what makes this work so important uh, that David is going to invest in because it is God's work. How's it going to happen? Well, we see then a huge gift is given. In, in verse 2, we see David, he says he's going to give his gold and his silver and his bronze and his iron and his wood and his fine stones and his marble. That's all coming out of the national treasury. Uh, but then in verse 3 and 4, he says there's more gold, more silver from his own personal finances. And then the rest of the leaders get in, involved. Uh, they represent the families and the tribes of Israel in verses 7 and 8. Um, there's a whole list of this extravagant wealth that is being handed over. Uh, and it's not just giving out of obligation. We, we see from David that it's a, a personal investment. Do you see how he refers to it in verse 2? He says, with all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. In verse 3, besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. This is, this is something that David wants to do because of his God. He is my God. It's not just God out there somewhere, but this is a personal thing David is wanting to give because his heart is connected with his God. And, and it's a, a willing offering, we see. Um, he sets the example. He makes the challenge. Now, he says at the end of verse 5, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? And maybe they were sort of, the leaders were all thinking, well, he's done this and, you know, you know we better do our bit, I suppose. I suppose we better chip in as well. Uh, but not at all. It's not that. Verse 6, the leaders of the families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. Verse 9, the peoples rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they'd given freely and wholeheartedly to the, to the Lord. It's a willing offering. It's a, it's a great project. It's a, it's a huge gift being given over, but it's personal because it's to, to my God, says David. It's willing, uh, and then there's great rejoicing. Now, that's why I, so I really love this, this passage because it's, it's all done in this great, wonderful sense of joy. 
uh, the extravagant generosity is the cause of great sort of projects is, is a joyful thing. Uh, sometimes I think, you know, we think about the subject of money, don't we? we and giving as a slightly dour subject. You know, slightly, we can be a bit embarrassed about it. We don't really want to talk. I mean, we have to talk about this, but I'm really sorry. We don't really want to, but, but we have to. So, so here, here's the numbers. You know, that's the, the danger. We talk about giving like that. But this whole chapter is it's just full of rejoicing. They're full of joy as they, as they give um, to, to God's work, to his project. It's reflected in David's prayer, as we all see. It makes me think of uh, when we were living in Brazil, uh, Debbie and I, and, and um, I think I've shared it before, but it was part of the service, part of the long service. I mean, I know you're already watching, looking at your watches, but, but, but you know, Brazilian services were, were a good sort of two or three hours, and, and, uh, and there was all sorts of lots of things. But within that, there was a long bit in which the, the music played and people danced and everyone came up to the front and they put their gifts into the, uh, into the big basket at the, at the front. And, and there was just a great sense of joy in this part of their discipleship, their worship, their, their giving. And, and we see it here in Israel. And, and it may be more difficult to get that sense of joy, I'm sure, as we make a bank transfer you know, or increase a standing order. It just feels much more privatized, doesn't it, and individual and business-like. But you to invest in the great project of God, of doing his work, it should lead to rejoicing, as it did back in 1 Chronicles 29. Maybe we should have a corporate sort of way of increasing standing orders. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know how we'd do that. But, but, but it's joyful, uh, this generosity. I think it's catching. David says, I'm going to do it. The leaders say, yeah, we're going to do it. And the whole people are rejoicing because, because they see the joy of giving to the Lord's work. And it's not the first kind of time we've seen this kind of generosity in the, in the Old Testament. If you remember, if you were with us in that last term in the series in Exodus, you got to the, to the end, they're building the tabernacle, which was the forerunner to the temple, um, under God's instruction. And Moses, do you remember, had to order the people to stop bringing gifts. You know, he, he, he had to, they had, some of them had to be physically restrained from, from giving any more. Can you imagine that? Derwin is having to go around pulling pens out of people's hands because they're writing checks. And he's saying, no, you can't stop giving. I mean, it's not going to happen. I don't think. Hey, I, I, there has been a couple of occasions on, in, in, in my ministry where I've had to say to people, no, yeah, I've known something about their personal situation and they're wanting to, to give and they're wanting to be generous and, and, and I know that it's, in a sense, probably, um, I have to say to people, stop giving your stuff away. I don't want to dampen any enthusiasm in any sense uh, or their hearts that are shaped by Jesus, that extravagant generosity, but, but sometimes that has to be said. But there's great joy in that uh, giving. It, it, we see it in the New Testament, of course, too, the book of Acts. Uh, that snapshot of the early church, do you remember in Acts 2, 42 to 47, people held everything in common and uh, uh, no one was in need because people just sell their stuff. They'd sell their possessions, sell their property and give it so that, so that God's work could be done amongst all his people. Uh, the Apostle Paul made that collection all around the sort of Mediterranean basin, around the churches, for God's work among his people in Jerusalem. 
And uh, do you remember, he's, he's writing to, to um, Corinth, which was a, a wealthy city, and he wants to encourage them to, 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 to generous giving. And so he holds up the uh, model of the much poorer church in Macedonia. And uh, let, me, let me find it. He says, uh, he, he says this. It might be on the screen. Did I put it on the screen? Oh, I did. There we are. And now, brothers and sisters, uh, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, notice, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. See, there's, there's, uh, throughout the Bible, where people's hearts are caught up by it with God's purposes, where they see the, 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 the work, they, they long to give. There's a sense of joy and generosity that come together, Old and, and New Testament. And so, I suppose here's the question. You know, this rich, extravagant generosity, it marked the Macedonian churches, it marked the, the, the David and the people in the, the building of the temple and, and Moses in the building of the tabernacle. Uh, this generosity which flowed out of them, it seems. Uh, here's the question, where does that come from? How does that work? How, do, how might we be people like them who, who just love to give, who long to give? Uh, I mean, it's not something, is it, that can be generated by a, a campaign, a giving campaign. I, I don't think it, it's not something that can be generated by a treasurer's announcement telling us how much we've received and how much we need. It's not going to even be generated by a kind of moving video that stirs our emotions. Uh, we can give out of obligation. We can give out of guilt. We can give for all sorts of motives, but joyful, personal, sacrificial, extravagant generosity that, that flows out of us, well, that is only going to flow from a big vision of God who transforms our hearts. We got a little glimpse of that in that wonderful uh, pantomime telling of Zacchaeus. I mean, that was good, wasn't it? I don't think the kids were that interested, but the adults were really into that, those responses, Keith. And I, I, you know, I'm shame we haven't got any responses now, but um, maybe next week we'll put some responses in into the sermon uh, just to keep everyone on their toes. Um, but this vision, what do we see in, in, in David's prayer, which is what we're looking at really um, from verse 10? Well, first of all, we see a vision of God's greatness. If you've got that um, open page 433, uh, David praised the Lord in the presence of the Holy Assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom and you're exalted as head over all. I wonder if is our hearts captivated by God's greatness? I mean, we see it in the heavens and the earth, says, says David. Uh, I'm not a gardener. You probably, some of you are gardeners. I know you are. Um, but I, I, you know, I was reading there were 270,000 species of flowers. And of one of those species, orchids, there's 25,000 varieties. Uh, 
Yeah, why so many? You could just have daffodils. I mean, I like daffodils, but why so many? Well, you tell me. God's extravagant generosity and creation. He doesn't need to have that, that many species, that many varieties. We see his lavish, overwhelming beauty as God opens his hands and pours out his blessing in creation. Get around to the Loinig Garden and you can see God's extravagant generosity uh, in his creation. You look up on a clear night sky, you see a lot of stars. I'm told with a naked eye, you can see about 5,000 if you keep looking. Uh, galaxy has 400 billion stars, just our galaxy. Uh, I gather with the most powerful telescopes, you can see 10 billion galaxies. 70 sextillion stars, seven with 22 zeros. Uh, 10 times more than all the grains of sand in all the world's beaches and deserts. Why so many? God's extravagant generosity seen in the overwhelming complexity and majesty of the heavens. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. David, he's captured by the greatness of God. It's not just the great project that he's caught up with, but it's God himself. Oh, oh, the building of the temple is, is going to be the greatest project uh, in terms of buildings that the, you know, the world has seen. But it's, it's God himself that overflows in worship and praise, in prayer and in practice in his extravagant generosity. And maybe sometimes we, we get excited about what God has called us to. I hope we do. What your calling is that God has called you to, the building of his church, the extending of his kingdom uh, across the ages, across the world. That's what he wants for us, to make an impact here in Surbiton, through our partners in the world, in your workplace, in your home. Uh, God wants you to, to be excited about what the purposes he has for you uh, in your life. But greater still is a vision of God himself, of his awesome greatness and majesty. That'll shape our hearts. That will transform our hearts to lead lives of worship and of generosity. Vision of God's greatness. Uh, and then there's a vision of God's generosity itself in, in this prayer. I mean, this, this prayer is, is, is one of He says, Wealth and honor come from you. You're the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. This outpouring of praise, David recognizes that any power he has, any wealth he has, any strength he has is a gift from God. I'm sure David worked incredibly hard as the king of Israel. I'm sure he gave his everything. I'm sure he worked long hours. He worked long into late evenings. He made sacrifices uh, to be a successful king. But he knows that his background, his calling, his gifts, his education, his opportunities, all of them are gifts from the Lord. I'm sure there was a right sense of satisfaction in what he was doing for the Lord. But there was no place for pride. There was no place for self-congratulation. No place for self-confidence. He is marked by humble gratitude. He makes it even clearer, doesn't he? As he continues in his prayer, verse 13, Who am I, he says, and who are my people? That we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you. 
and we've simply given you only what comes from your hand. We're foreigners, strangers, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are just like a shadow without hope. But Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand and it all belongs to you. What he's saying is without God's generosity, we, we have nothing. Our lives are, uh, uh, we're just, uh, you know, we live a fleeting existence of a few decades on earth. We're just a shadow that comes and goes uh, uh, without real purpose or hope unless we recognize that everything we have has come from God. That's David's experience. Uh, he knows that everything he has has come from him and it stirs in his heart. In God's grace and goodness, he's called us if we're in Christians today, if you're a Christian today, if you've explored hope and you've found hope in Christ, well, well, in that case, your life in relationship with him is a gift from him. It's a life of purpose, of service, of significance, full of good things. And as we grasp that, it, it leads to humble gratitude and to extravagant generosity because everything we have is his, not ours. So if you watch The, the Apprentice, um, uh, The Apprentice is... Uh, I think occasionally can show some good things like teamwork, which is part of God's design for how we work in the world. Uh, but of course, mostly it's about good television and it's about bigging up the individual. You know, the emphasis is on competition. It's on who you are. Um, someone once said that you know, you're the self-made man who worships his creator. That's what the, the, the uh, Stuart Baggs, season six, do you remember Stuart Baggs? Stuart Baggs, I'm Stuart Baggs the brand. Everything I touch turns to sold. I'm not a one-trick pony, I'm not a ten-trick pony, I'm a whole field of ponies, and they're literally all running towards this job. <laughs> yeah, it's utterly ridiculous. Uh, Philip says, business is the new rock and roll, and I'm Elvis Presley. In case you think it's a male trait, Camilla, season 14, says, I'm an extremist, my goal is worldwide domination, and I'm not going to stop until I get it. Now, kind of, I mean, it's ridiculous, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that ambition, with wanting to achieve something great, for God, but as we grasp the vision of God's generosity, when we recognize that everything we have has come from him, you know, the place where we're born, the education we've received, the opportunities we've had, the gifts and skills we've developed, the health and strength for being able to use those, those gifts to generate income and, and, and wealth, if we know that everything comes from him, it should lead us to humility, to thankfulness to working hard with what he's given us for his glory and to an extravagant generosity in our ambition to give to him and to others. And of course, that generosity is supremely experienced in what Paul describes as the indescribable gift of his son. Vision of God's greatness, vision of God's generosity, and lastly, and briefly, a vision of God's priority. David recognizes that what God really wants is, is not primarily the gold or silver or bronze. It's not primarily even the building of a temple in Jerusalem. What God really primarily wants are people's hearts. What God wants from you is not your money, but it's your heart. I mean, God has got enough money. He's got everything. He owns the whole world. Uh, he wants your heart. Once he has your heart, of course, then you'll be longing to, to give whatever you have for his service. That's why well, he says here, um, you know, it's your, it's your heart there in verse uh, uh, 17. I, I know, my God, that you test the heart, are pleased with integrity, and all these things I've given willingly with honest joy. And he prays that the, the hearts of the people would stay loyal. 
And he gives son this wholehearted devotion. Keep your commands, statutes, and decrees. That's, that's his prayer. See, when it comes to giving, it's not the amount that matters. It is it's the heart that God sees. So, so uh, you know, in, in the temple, Jesus is watching with his disciples, people coming in, and they're putting big sums of money into the, into the pot in the temple. And, and then a, an old widow comes in with her two copper coins. And he says to the disciples, do you see, he, she's given much more than the others. And they're all thinking, what do you mean she's given much more than the others? I mean, they've been putting their gold in. She's put two little copper coins. That isn't more, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, no, God sees the heart. What she has given is much more in his sight. The heart is, is what matters. Uh, God's priority is that our hearts are consecrated to him. And that will look differently for each of us. And I want to need to say this very clearly. You know, if God has blessed someone with great material wealth and he gets their hearts consecrated, caught up by a vision of God's greatness and, and generosity, well, that releases great wealth for the kingdom. And pray that'll be true for, for some here. It is true for many here because uh, of we, we've seen that in the numbers uh, where, where that prosperity and that uh, of wealth and, and of consecration of heart comes together. There's a great sum released for the kingdom and we pray that that will continue. Um, but it may be that, that you're struggling financially, that, that things are tight, that you can't give as you would like to if you had more resources. God sees your heart. He knows. He's pleased with integrity. He's not pleased with, the, with, 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 uh, with how much the, the gift is. He's pleased with the integrity of the heart. Maybe for some, you've got to stop giving. You need to access the Christchurch Support Fund and receive something from the generosity of others. Um, please do access that. It'll be different for all of us. Some you might be able to today increase your standing order so we can increase that regular giving. It may be that you can give a, a, a one-off gift. It may be uh, you, can, you could do something, uh, but, but it may be not. But what we can do today is consecrate our hearts to the Lord. We can allow him to touch our hearts. Because that's where I want to start. That, that, I want to finish with this. Do you remember the, the, the story of, of, of Jesus having dinner with, with Simon the, the, the Pharisee? And, and in comes the lady who's full of tears, the woman of disrepute, the prostitute. She's, she's come to Jesus. She's met him before, clearly. He has touched her heart and she weeps and she takes this alabaster jar of perfume, expensive perfume, and she breaks it and pours it on his feet and she weeps and she dries her feet with tears and she expresses her devotion and love for Jesus. And they're all sort of in a bit of outrage and Simon the host is thinking, what is this woman doing in my house? And surely Jesus would know what, who she is if, and wouldn't allow this to happen. And, and Jesus uh, rebukes Simon. He says, look, I've come into your house. You didn't even wash my feet. She's, she's washing it with tears of her feet. You didn't anoint my head. She is pouring perfume on, on, on my feet. You see, her heart had been touched by Jesus. She had been a vision of who he is, and she'd been touched by him like Zacchaeus. And so her heart flowed out in generosity and love and devotion to him. And the Pharisee, he just went through the motions. He provided a bit of food, and he... He went through the motions, but his heart wasn't touched. And you know, I want, I don't know about you, I, I want to be like the woman, not like that Pharisee. And I want our church to be like that woman and not like that Pharisee. Not going through the motions, 
not just doing our little bit, but our hearts so captured by Jesus as David's was here by the Lord so that it overflows in extravagant generosity. May that be true for you and for me today and in this year ahead. As the, the musicians are going to come up, we're going to sing a couple of songs as we draw our service towards a close. But I thought just, we just do a moment, just if you close your eyes, you don't have to do this, but if you want to, I think open hands are such a good reminder of God's desire for us. So you might want to just sit there and just open your hands. You see, open hands are a sign both of receiving and oh, how we need to continue to receive from God's grace, his generosity, as we open our hearts and open our hands to Jesus. Say, Lord, I need you more than anything else. Open hands as we receive God's grace in Christ. Open hands as we give thanks to God for all that he has given to us. And then open hands are a symbol of giving, of not holding on to stuff for ourselves, not grabbing hold or gripping hard onto the, the things that God has given to us, but open hands which release and give. Oh Lord, make us those people, we pray, make us a church of generosity, extravagant generosity, we'd be willing to give of ourselves, of our time, of our talents, of our treasure to your purposes in the world. Father, work these things in us, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.